0: Media. Today, football's greatest ever hometown hero. A man with brains in his feet eyes in the back of his head and a chip that could kill from 11 meters. A man who conquered the world and yet never left home. From the cucaio to the gubaios, from the quattro papini to the no love for the cugini, signore e signore, Francesco Totti. La Roma che conosco la porto sempre dentro, nei giorni di burrasca e in quelli senza vento. Tra vigoli, palazzi, bar, trattorie. So centomila strade e sono tutte mie. E sono tutte mie le facce della gente. Le nonne sul balcone, il ricco, il mendicante. Posteggiatori, tassinari, barbieri e benzinari. La Roma che conosco non la conosci mai. Francesco Totti there, listener. With his eulogy to the eternal city, la Roma che conosco. James
1: Horncastle, tell us more about what we just heard. <laughs> Non la conosci mai. Yeah. The Rome that I know, you'll never know, or what you don't know about it. And uh, yeah, this was a, a track that Totti guested on, along with uh, the other Romans, uh, his teammates at the time, Alberto Aquilani, De Rossi, I think Gianluca Curci as well. There's a local musician called Marco Conidi who's trying to steal the crown um, from Antonello. Ha! <laughs> as if. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, not going to happen.
2: <laughs> to allow De Rossi, in, given he's from Austria.
1: Well, yeah, come on. Austria right. is Rome's sea, Gab. You know that. Gabriele Marcosi also here
0: with us. And we we kick off with that, Gab, because I don't think there's a player anywhere who is as uh, representative of his city. It, it's so fundamental to Totti and the phenomenon of Totti, his whole Romanità.
2: Yeah, very much so. I... <laughs> Do you remember that that Star Trek spin-off, the one with Captain Janeway and the doctor, who was actually like a hologram? And so he could he couldn't he was there and he was a very good doctor when he was on the when he was on the holodeck or, or in the medical bay or whatever the hell it was, but like he couldn't actually go anywhere because then he just disappeared because he wasn't real. I, I, I think that's that's a little bit taught. Like he's so intrinsically tied with Rome that you can't fathom, I'm sure we'll get to this maybe in part two, his existence anywhere else, except for a sort of very brief periods of time. And I, I don't think he can fathom it. I, I know it seems like a, like a stereotype, but this no, is no, a guy I, who's never even tried. I mean, Daniele De Rossi moved to Boca Juniors. I know he came back, but, you know, Daniele De Rossi, like, married somebody who's not from Rome. Daniele De Rossi actually speaks English. Daniele, you know, like... This guy is so focused, and it, it's interesting because obviously, has anybody heard me speak Italian? I'm most definitely not from Rome, but one of the things about Gap's rome from Naples, yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> very much so. No, but well, one of the things that you that they say in Rome is that you know there's very few Romani veri because it's a city Verace. that people, yeah, that people emigrate to, and like you know you have to. If you can't trace your lines back sort of three, four, five, six generations, and I have no idea where, I mean, maybe James knows where Thought these ancestries well, from. Well, he's seventh generation Roman. Seven generations is what they say, right? Now, to me, because the city is so engulfing and, you know, it's it's such a sink or swim environment, I mean, I know Nigerians who move there at the age of 12 and they're a million percent Roman – after just 5 years. I don't know. I don't know if you were headed down that, that 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 track or given your colonial past you you were able to approach the city in a different <laughs> way. Past. But I'm talking about your peeps. To Romans, they can identify the ones who are there who belong there and they just have a different oh. Oh. Exactly.
0: <laughs> It is funny how Roma is very much Caput Mundi, but only of its
1: own little world. And that, well, and this is what they say in Italy as well. That Roma is very provinciale. It's mm. very, it's almost like a, uh, it's almost like a village. Uh, certainly, the mentality um, that that people seem to have there, rather than being this big, grandiose, majestic capital, which is very decadent. As you know, again, you can see in one of what Sorrentino's films, La Grande Bellezza, which you know, I think Totti is very kind of. Uh, would be an appropriate subject nice. um, to be incorporated into that film.
0: Well, banks to talk about with Francesco. Uh, was he a deadly forward who could play like the world's greatest midfielder, or was it the other way round?
1: Was he the greatest Italian player of all time? It's a debate that some people have. It's certainly, oh, yeah. in, in
2: Rome, one... <laughs> <bit>. i mean...
1: <laughs> but it's, it's one that Zen Zeman, you know, whenever he's asked, you know, who is the greatest ever player... He says top five are totti, 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 totti
0: and totti. <laughs> Crazy, that's a den example. What a, what a kidder he is. We'll also be looking back at our top totti memories. But we're going to begin at the beginning. Or Puppone, or Bimbo born 27th of September 1976 in San Giovanni in the southern part of the city, growing up in Via Vitulonia. Diciotto. family were and as a kid francesco had a, a poster of il principe giuseppe Giannini on the wall but also one of roberto mancini a diminutive kid who soon begins to make a name for himself in youth football in the capital uh, i remember in rome when we were young says alessandro nesta i remember oh. in rome when we were young totti was always totti even as an
1: eight-year-old I mean, there's a great uh, video on YouTube, um, old footage of like a... I think it's the Lenzini trophy. And Lenzini was the president of Lazio in the 70s when they won the Scudetto. And Totti is playing for Lodigiani, one of the teams that he did play for before he went to to Roma. And he comes up against Alessandro Nesta's Lazio. And I think Totti and his team ends up winning that tournament... But again there was this there was this feeling that these two players, these two individuals, their destinies were in some in some ways linked. But unfortunately for Lazio, because of the financial troubles that they had, they were never able to keep their players right. Their Romans, like Marco Di Vallo, for example, um, in the way that Roma were. Milan were the team that came in for him first and it was Ariete Braida who was what the sporting director for a long, long time. Um and or this at least
2: before Lodigiani. So this wasn't is it? this
1: is before Lodigiani. He was and, at
2: Trastevere, I think. Yeah.
1: And he he turns up at the Totti's Door on, on Via Vitellonia and basically says, We'll look after your boy. These are all the things that we can do. You know, we can set you up with work up in Milan. We can we've got schools for him. Come along. You know, this was two years I think into the Berlusconi Era and they were saying, Look what we've done to Paolo Maldini. Paolo Maldini's come through, um, and they said it's too early for him to move. And Toddy, as we see, even though he releases all these joke books, he doesn't seem really ill at ease on the big stage be it on TV or be it on the football pitch. He's actually a very timid character, Um, and certainly at that stage, in his as a boy, he didn't want to leave Rome and he never wanted to leave Rome, right? He was pretty small as
0: well as a, as a kid. And maybe that was part of the, the reason that he was uh, still at Lodigiani at age 12 when the deal is done with Roma for him to join their youth ranks. Do you know who gave him his first professional deal at Roma? Was it uh, Giannini's dad? No, it was Luciano Mochi. So 89, age 12, he joins the Giallarossi and it doesn't take long before he gets his first team debut. Age 16... The 28th of March, 1993.
1: Yeah, and he's playing uh, for, I can't remember which age group it was. I think it was not the Primavera, um, but maybe just slightly before that. And he is playing against Ascoli. He scores twice, gets to half-time. He goes to the dressing room and a director from Roma comes in and basically says, get a shower. You're not going out for the second half. You're coming with us. And he gets on the bus with the first team. So all these guys that he's kind of grown up idolizing, not just uh, Giannini, um, who, I mean, I think we've maybe said in other podcasts how important this legacy Mm. of Roman captains, not just Giannini, but Di Bartolomei. And he is idolizing, but he also um, idolizes Thomas Hassler.
0: Yeah, Tomasino Hassler.
1: Hassler, who... It's his injury, actually, in the, their final training session before leaving for Brescia that allows Totti to basically get a place in the first-team squad. And, yeah, they fly there, and all of a sudden, it's the first time... He says it's the first time he's left Rome aside from going to the beach um, Which outside. he only went like half an hour down the road anyway. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's staying he's staying in the hotel with all these guys. Giannini um, basically takes him under his wing because Giannini's father... A little bit like De Rossi's father, who's involved in the youth sector, knows Totti, has spoken to his son about him, says this kid's got a lot of talent. And then he's sat on the bench during this game. And uh, at, what, after 83 minutes, I think Boskov turns and says. Well, it's Mihalovic, apparently, who says. Sinisa
0: Mihalovic, who was at Roma at the, at the time. And uh, I think uh, Ruggero Rizzitelli, Rizzigor, Ricci is coming off. Mm. And Mihalovich says, send the kid on, Vujda Boskov. Boskov, who, I mean, the popular conceptionist was kind of there, but also not there and was happy to do whatever. And went, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> but, but,
1: but, Boskov apparently turns around and basically says, right, um, get stripped off, get ready. And Totti doesn't think he's talking to him. He thinks he's talking to uh, Mutsi next to him. Mutsi. And then Mutsi's, Mutsi looks at him and says, go on, get a move on. And he comes on, makes his debut. You 16 a win.
0: years of age, 16 uh, Carlo Mazzoni, though, was the next man uh, in charge, and the man who actually gave him his first start. This is the start of the 94-95 season. By now, Francesco is a, a venerable 17 years of age. And uh, Mazzoni makes the surprising choice for the first game of the season against Fogger to leave Abo Balbo on the bench and play Francesco Totti up front with Daniele Fonseca.
1: Yeah, it's because they they could only play three foreigners ah, at the time, right. and they had four, Balbo Fonseca, Jonas Turn, and... I imagine Aldair or... Probably, yeah. But the young Francesco scores. The
0: following month, and this is the first time he, he really kind of burned his way into my consciousness, he gets a run out against a slightly bigger opponent, Barcelona, the dream team. Stochkov, Kuman and the rest. The 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 Totti there, hovering on the edge of the box, leaping up and performing a wonderful sort of semi rovishata a, a, a bicycle kick, and 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 from about twenty yards out, very, very impressive. There's been a lot of talk of this young promessa. But uh, I think with that, we began to realise that it was for real.
1: Yeah, and shortly after making his debut, scoring goals like that, James, he's still living with his parents, of course. Um, and, you know, there's already this kind of great enthusiasm, great sort of, this guy's the next big thing. And just Roma fans keep turning up on the street and they keep taking anything that they think could be touched by Totti. So apparently they even steal, like, his neighbour's doormats and that sort of thing. And it's that it's at that stage where he's like, jeez, I've got got to get out of here There's so a, they move well there was there was also like a mechanics downstairs and apparently what they used to, what he used to do when he when he got his first check and he bought himself a mercedes he would basically get these clapped out cars uh from the mechanic like banged up volkswagen golfs or you know sort of cinquecento kind of cut and shoves and then just sort of drive around because no one would kind of ex- expect that you'd find Totti in a in a car that bad
2: when it comes to young players, although James and I are cheerleading the fact that it's changing, the reality is in Italy, it's, You know, we're the magical country where you're young until you're 40, sometimes after yeah. that. You live with your mom until you're 50. And, and so <laughs> the, we have this obsession about, oh, this idea of, of bruciare giovani, right? Burn out the youngsters, which is why so, so few youngsters in Italy, even ones who, I mean, I think Buffon and Maldini are just the two obvious exceptions, but the vast majority of even very successful players, even Chellini and Bonucci, you know, these guys, they either play very little or they play for some very small clubs, you know, until they're like 21, 22, 23. And what struck you about Totti, and A, that happened to him at Roma with Mazzone, because in those three years, two and a half or three years that Mazzone was there, which is kind of, he sort of became Totti. He didn't play as often. He was kind of in and out. He'd start a game, come off the bench. But what struck you was that he never had any qualms about trying something difficult. You know, in Italy, we, one of the worst things you can tell a young player is this, this what we say, il phenomenal," right? Go and attempt something really difficult, a backheel, a bicycle kick, and then you don't pull it off, you look like an idiot. That's like the worst crime you can commit, right? It was a weird thing. We want everybody to play within themselves until they become old, and then they have the license to go and attempt things that they can no longer do. But with Totti, that never happened. Totti often tried... Really difficult, low percentage things like that overhead kick that we just went through. And I think that was another thing that that, that stood out and really helped burnish his his image as something wow.
0: You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Teenage Chossie now making a real name for himself. And here's an early TV appearance where the hosts ask him about his future. And Francesco's reply is simple. for possible, for example, Score as much as possible and remain always at Roma. Funny thing was, the very next season, 96 97, Mazzoni's gone and Carlos Bianchi. Carlos B. Larry David. Larry David is in. And uh, he's not. He's really the first of a series of managers who maybe don't get Totti. So much so that there's this strong move to sell. Uh, Roma's young phenomenon to to Sam Doria, which would have been an extraordinary thing uh, of him linking up with Roberto Mancini, who was very much ruling the roost there. Yeah. That would have been incredible. Apparently, the, the Bianca was for it, and it was only when um, Franco Sensi, the legendary Roma owner, saw Francesco playing in a in a one of those weird kind of forty five minute part. The game triangulars that the clubs used to do. It was with Munch and Gladbach and Ajax and Totti scores against both and he goes, no, the kid well,
1: stays here. The story goes that um, Carlos Bianchi did not like uh, the Roman players on the team. Um, there was this feeling that Carlos was too indulgent of them uh, because he, f- he was from the city. Um, and what Bianchi did, which wasn't popular within the team, was that he would play the Italians against the rest of the world in these little partitelle that they had in training. And it was only, I think, Totti wasn't called up for the under-21s one international break um, because I think there was a change of manager. I think Cesare Maldini had moved on. So he's still around and he plays in this three-team tournament. And the player that Bianchi wanted uh, to replace him and they were going to use their money from the Totti deal to buy was Yari Lipmanen. Mm. And Litmanen was playing for the Ajax side, and it felt very much that that Roma-Ajax game uh, was uh, almost a uh, playoff between Totti and uh, to uh, who was going to be the future of Roma, and Totti ends up stealing the show.
2: You know, Yari Litmanen and Ajax had been in, what, two consecutive Champions League, Champions League mm. finals. They'd won one, they'd lost another one, slightly dubious circumstances on penalties. I forget who that was against, funnily enough. The, the no, strength. No, no. I'm joking. I'm strength joking. Of that but, but, you know, it was this incredible group of very, very talented players, and Litmanin was sort of the brains of the operation. Hmm. And Carlos Bianchi, this was explained to me by because you know I, this is the Bianchi version. Was he's like, we have these younger players here, including not just Totti, but some of the guys he'd seen in, in the Primavera they're never going to be like the guys at IX because they have Louis van Hal and he can kind of run things the way he wants. He has power. I don't have power. I'm a hired gun here. So the way I do that is, it's it's kind of like, um, who was it? It went up the mountain because God told him to and he was going to kill his... Mo, was it Moses went up yeah, the mountain. Yeah, with
0: the Ten Commandments.
2: Yeah, he we went up the mountain because God wanted him to kill his child and then... Oh, no, that was uh, Abraham. Abraham, there you go. It's a bit like that. Sammy. Yeah. So if I if I if I get them to sacrifice the golden child, right? Then that they will. Mine. Then it will be mine. I mine. will now have their loyalty. I have in. They will be invested in me, and then I will have the necessary power. It was a very <laughs> calculating, tactical thing. Right. But fortunately, that kind, Mister Sancy, and little Rosella. Mm. I'm sure she was. Around even back then, uh-huh. and she never ages. Yep. They 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 foil the dastardly plan.
0: Totti wins that particular duel with Litman and, and with his manager as well. Uh, Bianchi's gone within a couple of months, and the man who takes over brings better times because it is Zdenek Zeman. His first stint with the Giallarossi legendary Bohemian manager Zdenek Zeman just sacked by Lazio. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was a genius move by Roma to hire the man who the. Neighbours and bitter rivals had decided wasn't good enough for them. And uh, a magical period, not wildly successful in terms of, well, actually winning things, but a, a wonderful period Certainly to be not watching. derbies.
1: They lost every one of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but the thing with, uh, with, with Zeman, I think when they made this decision, um, it was who is a coach who will get the most out of someone like Francesco Totti. And this is the first great period of of,
0: of Francesco's career at Roma. He's consistently the starter. He's now the heart of the team.
1: And also because Zeman calls him Stella all the time. He's my little star. Um, And, yeah, puts him on the left side. So he's kind of away from the traffic that you get in the middle. Uh, He's certainly skillful enough to to deal with that. And he starts scoring goals, starts playing regularly. Not scoring as many as we later see in his career, but certainly affecting games. Um, And i think with 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 Zeman, there are two things there was the physical preparation um which um was militaristic i would say um and you know they would do these things where they would what, run a thousand meter ten times with very little um rest time in between. Um, and Totti kind of credits that physical preparation with the long-lasting career that he would have into his 40s, laying the kind of groundwork uh, that was there, along with his good mate Vito Scala, and also they would do two hours a day of attacking exercises, which I I think they didn't do any defensive exercises, knowing what Zeman was like, because more often than not, this team would finish top of the league in terms of goals scored
2: and 10th, for goals conceded, Zeman mm. would point out that that is just a mean thing people say <laughs> about him, and that at Lazio, like, has the second best defense twice or something right. like that. But mm. but you're right. I mean, that is a characterization of Jim and That's why people fall in love with it because it was such a, such fun attacking football to see. There was always three people in the box, and if you were a skillful player in tight spaces, like Totti, you never ran out of options.
1: And the movement as well that he would teach. I mean, I, th- I think it's no coincidence that as we record this, a Zeman alumni, uh, alumnus is top of the scoring charts yet again and could be Capacandini for a fourth time. It's truly mobile
0: Now, amidst all of this, there's still a slight sensation about Tossi that he's a big fish in a small pond, that he's not quite the real thing, so much so that in 98, Italy's expedition to France for the World Cup, uh, th- there's no sign of him yeah. in the squad. for would again,
2: Hindsight would say, whoa, this is kind of weird right because he's nearly 22 at this stage he's obviously super talented but remember like I said this is a country of old people and on top of that so maybe Totti is quite mature enough for the big stage but on top of that when it came to sort of those number 10 second striker types obviously the big star was, was supposed to be Alex Del Piero yeah. you had Roberto Baggio another guy who didn't go to that World Cup despite the fact that he was lighting it up in the Premier League was Gianfranco Zola so there was a lot of competition right. for places in kind of that second striker role, so, so that, I didn't want to give him a pass for that, but...
0: So that was under Cesare Maldini. Dino Zoff takes over, and he does pick Francesco for the European Championships in 2000, and this is where Francesco really becomes an international
2: figure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, one of his most iconic moments, um, which was in that semi-final uh, against uh, the Netherlands, which uh, one of the greatest uh, nil-nils uh, of, 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 of all time. And yeah, it goes to a penalty shootout. So yeah, there, so there are a... lots of things happening in this game. This game is worthy of Golazzo episode on its own.
0: Right. Well, they're just briefly, they're in Amsterdam with the host nation, Netherlands. They've been down to 10 most of the game. They're up against the Netherlands side, featuring the likes of uh, Patrick Cliver, Dennis Bergkamp, Edwin van der Saar. It reaches penalties. De Biaggio and Pesotto score for Italy. De Boer, Frank De Boer and Yapstam Stam miss theirs. And up next comes Francesco Totti. And for
1: context, um, Italy had been knocked out of, what, the last three World Cups on penalties. On so. rigordi, that's true. This is a big moment that Francesco decides that he's going to chip the goalkeeper and that goalkeeper is one of the biggest, tallest goalkeepers around. It's Edwin van der Sar. Yeah, he doesn't know he decides he's going to do it. He tells Pirlo, yeah. I'm going to go and he, chip this And guy. everyone's like, he's... no, no, no.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> again, I think everybody who's on that team has uh, stories to tell about it. I mean, I think the I mean, the version I heard from Maldini, as I recall, was... He's like, you know, he does the mollevaccio gucchiaio. And Maldini's like, ha, 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 ha. He's like smile He's like laughing. And then, like, he's like, like, in a movie, like, my expression changes and say like, no, this idiot's really going to go and do it. Why the hell do we do we call these people up from Roma to the national <laughs> team? <laughs> Why the hell is he here? You know? And, um... But that's okay. Because... He, he scores. Probably, he scores, yeah. He
0: scores. And Italy goes through... To the final, where he's man of the match, he helps Sets up what should have been Del Vecchio's a winner. Wonderful back heel, no, for Pesotto, then puts it through to Del Vecchio
2: and didn't the other one too, right?
0: The Del Piero chance. Oh, sorry, it was Del Piero, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, they lose the final, and it's all Del Piero's fault because I think there's at least two guilt guilt-edged chances that he serves up for
1: ADP, yeah. And uh, I think if uh, they win this uh tournament. Um, there's a strong case for Totti to win the Ballon d'Or um, that year because ultimately the guy who does win it is Luis Figo who had gone out in the semi-finals. He just moved to Real Madrid um, as well um, and it didn't feel that there was a natural kind of outstanding candidate and given this is I think Totti's best uh, tournament performance um, and it was going into uh, what would be the biggest year of his career right. at least in terms of the success that he had always wanted Um, there's certainly a feeling that he could have could have got the Ballon d'Or which I think on the balance of his career he probably deserved and again this this folds into the narrative about Totti that had he moved to a Real Madrid when he had the opportunity had he played regular Champions League football had Mm. he been part of teams that had
0: he also not spat
1: in Christian Paulson's face well I think all that stuff has a bearing but you're right
0: he certainly had the talent to be a Ballon d'Or winner Mm. I don't think that's That is beyond beyond the question. So he'd missed out on that European title, but the following season, a title does (laughs) arrive. Rome's official bard there, uh, Antonello Venditti with Roma Capoccia, and it's such a particular city, this, a lot of places feel that winning a title in their hometown is harder than anywhere else. You know, one title here is worth 10 somewhere else. But it is true, Capello has spoken about this, that it is an unbelievably hard place to work and get consistent success from your team. Now, going into the 2000-2001 season, circumstances weren't easy for the Giadarossi. Their neighbours, Lazio, had just won the title under Ericsson.
1: For the first time since '74.
0: And Roma's hopes of repeating their last title, which was back in 83, how, how good did they look?
1: Well, I mean, this was now Capello's second year. Um, Capello, you don't appoint Capello to finish second, or whether they finish in their first year Gab under him.
2: Weren't they, were they like six? I think, think very, they were six, Very yeah.
1: disappointing. Um, and uh, they come back from uh, the Euros, the internationals like uh, Totti and Tomasi, and they go out the Coppa Italia to Atalanta straight away and awaiting them at the training ground. Trigoria is such a mob of ultras, really. Uh, 4,000. And the players, uh, at that time, the walls of Trigoria weren't all that high. Um, You could get over them, throw things over them. Fish, They threw fish at the team. (laughs) They waved mops, Secchione, and, and they threw fish at the team. Apparently, Cafu tried to drive out and then basically couldn't get out and then had to back in. And when he backed in, his car... I mean his car looked very different, um right. to to when it had uh, when he he'd got into it, dented, been kicked to bits, you know. What what
0: a team that was. So Cafu was there, uh with Vincent Candela. Walter Samuel
2: had just arrived. wall. The wall. Yeah. You had the Puma, Emerson. You and by had, the way, yeah. Younger listeners, this was good Emerson. This was like by Leverkusen, all over the pitch. Not Middlesbrough Emerson. Emerson. Right. Well, yeah, not just that, not a different guy, <laughs> but also not the bad Emerson that we saw at the end of his career Right. And couldn't get around the pitch.
0: Okay, there was another guy to write. Batigol.
2: And I've probably told the story before of how he arrived... Well, the way that the fans tricked... Uh, the way Franco Baldini and Fabio Capello yeah. tricked Franco Sainzi. Sorry, yeah, them. Yeah. yeah, you have, but go on briefly again. So basically, they, they, they became convinced that Montella needed somebody needed somebody to light a fire under his rear end for him to score regularly, and that they needed another center forward, and they needed somebody big and strong, and that Del Vecchio couldn't hit the side of a barn. So we need to sign Battistuta, who, of course, was the god of Florence at the time. Um, Fiorentina obviously wouldn't sell. They wanted stupid money. Since he was like, the president was like, this is too much even for me. And so Capello and Baldini. They go out to dinner with the editor-in-chief of de dello Sport, which is Rome's Sports Daily, and they say, like, look.
1: Better times for
2: de dello <laughs> <Yeah>. Sport. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to sign him, and it's all down to Franco Sansi. and And in his recollection, he says, oh, is that really true? He's like, no, just <laughs> we want you to write that, and then maybe it'll come true. And we're very, very close. So then the next morning... It's like a front page splash uh, in uh, in Correa dello Sport. And all of a sudden there's a murmur around the city. Baldini talks about how like, he's in the shower and he looks out the window and he can hear like something's different in the air. And he looks out and there's all these people standing by the news agent pointing and then they start chanting Franco Sensi's name and the whole thing becomes really weird. And Sensi wakes up and he's like, what the hell? Like, what, am I, am I doing this? and you know, all these people are beaming. They all love him so much. And he says, all right, let's do it. Um Then, of course, leaving Roma into a big pile of debt and Jim Palot and all the stuff that would happen afterwards. But, you know, it was,
0: it was fun while it lasted. It. Yeah. yeah. and Boy, it was fun. It took them all the way to their third ever title. A, a wonderful season. You had uh, Montella and uh, Totti and Batigol up front. You had that, that defense, which was... Capello-esque in its uh, stinginess, and uh, with that, it came to the last day of the season. What was actually the last live Italian game on Channel 4, the uh, Roma-Panama game? I remember
1: watching this and they cut it short, didn't
0: they? Well, yeah, so uh, 3-1 was the final score, Mm. and when the third goal goes in, the Roma fans, the Romanisti, decide... Time to celebrate. So they race onto this massive pitch invasion. Yeah.
2: Capello's going crazy, you know, because he's like, get off, yeah. get off. And remember what had happened. Remember how Juventus had lost the title the previous you know, year, the previous year mm. right? In those remarkable circumstances, which, by the way, obviously changed the course of history because that cost Ancelotti his job. There was a sense that Moji was furious and right. Moji was going to pull out all the stops. There were there were rumors there was reporting that Maggi had like put snipers in the crowd to cause a disturbance so that so that Roma would have the, the, the game would have to be abandoned there was this incredible parent. people thought Maggi was somehow like the supreme underworld omnipotent yeah, exactly he was Beelzebub right. which you know some people might say wasn't that far from the truth but in the heads of Romans yeah. this was the ultimate paranoia and as that season went on and they got closer to the finish line they were waiting for the stumble. They were waiting for the screw job. They were waiting for you know Bret Hart in 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 Montreal with Vince McMahon. <laughs> it was gonna be something like that, but what, obviously. What, what reference? That's, is that? a re- that's a
1: wrestling reference. That's a professional oh, okay, wrestling reference. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, but then it never happened, and it was so surreal. I mean. I guess Buffon was the, was the goalkeeper. Yeah, right? he was. And he was yeah. Did you notice but, what Buffon was wearing at the end of the game? Nothing. It was in Mutande, probably. Yeah, well, because, because somebody ripped off his shirt. Yeah, everybody.
0: I mean, the, the, the place was...
1: But again, uh, one of the other things playing on Roman Romanisti minds was the fact that you look at that Parma team. It had yeah. Diego Fuzer, Marco Divao, Matthias Almeida, or Laziali. It was going to be their ultimate beffa. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and instead, no, it does. And one of the great stories Totti tells about this uh, this game is that usually the bus from Trigoria to the Olympico it takes a long, long time because you know one of the things that's famous about Rome is the traffic jams. In fact, mm. in that store, in that song that we had at the top of the show, one of the lines is that yes, there are traffic jams, but one of the great things about it is that whilst you're stuck in traffic, you get to see something like St. Peter's. But he says that on that day, it took them twenty minutes in the bus to get from Trigoria to the Olympica. Why? because the entire city was at the Stadio Olimpico. My word, and the gates had been opened early. This is a classic kind of trope of Italian football. The gates are open early. People have been there for 8 hours boiling. Yeah.
0: <laughs> boiling under that hot Roman sun. And it all pays off. Totti actually opens the scoring.
1: Adesso la palla per lui. Candelari
0: indietro. Totti! Totti Roma. Francesco Totti, tempo. Francesco It's Roma Uno zero. Three one it finishes, and Roma are champions. They, they are, have an extraordinary run after this. They are second in six of the next nine seasons. They're mm. just always there or thereabouts, usually behind Inter. First Roberto Mancini's Inter, and then that man's Inter, Jose Mourinho's
2: uh, yeah. treble-winning <clears throat> Inter. But to um, point out, of mm. um, the big Italian clubs they're the only ones who are untouched by Calciopoli. I mean, completely untouched. Obviously, now we know now about the Facchetti and whatever, and you know, maybe he was just a doddering old man talking to himself or not, but they don't come up, correct me if I'm wrong, even in minor... No, I
1: mean, there was a minor thing, I think maybe the season or two before, where there were some Rolexes, wasn't there too early. Oh, the
2: Franciscence no, no, of no, Rolexes. But not yeah, in the, the Calciopoli thing. No, 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 The no, Rolexes, no, no. That's, that's still Monge, you know, it's just... <laughs> But
1: also, you know, one of the things that Zeman always used to say about him getting the sack was that, you know, he obviously had made those allegations against Juventus and there was pressure put on Franco Sensi to sack him. And then Zeman could not get a job back in Italy for, or the the jobs that he could get were basically just like hospital passes uh, where it's going to damage your career. Right. So I think he ends up having to go and coach in Turkey at Fenerbahce because that's the only way. Modji would let him.
0: Well, post this Scudetto forum, uh, uh, one job offer does come up for Francesco Totti. And as you mentioned before, it is with Real Madrid, who are at the time European champions. This is 2002. And the story is that they offered him basically a deal that would have made him the highest paid player in the world. As it turns out, the advice of his friends and uh, family, and apparently above all the fact that he'd just started dating Ilori Balazi. Uh, means that he decides to decline their move, and they end up buying some Brazilian called Ronaldo. No, we haven't mentioned his instead. T-shirts. We, yeah, th- because that's another thing about Totti—not just his goals, not just his wonderful assists, but
1: also his wonderful uh, trolling. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, usually of Lazio, or in in in, in Blasi's case, a kind of uh, a declaration of yeah. love.
0: And one of the great um, my girlfriend stroke wife is pregnant goal celebrations as well in which he stuffed the football under his jersey and lay down with his legs spread and his teammates then proceeded to deliver the bulge <laughs> uh, wonderful but yeah the t-shirts I mean, the previous season there'd been that 5-1 in the uh,
1: derby against Roma well he scores one of his iconic goals the lob he lobs Angelo Piruzzi from outside the area wow. and that's the fifth goal Montello had scored four it's the game where Nesta, Nesta goes refused
0: off. to come out for the second <laughs> half Yeah. When was Vio Pergato ancora?
2: I think that was before, I think. There's no direct translation into English. um, But a purga is what you take when you're constipated and need to, you know. Purge. Purge. (laughs) Mm. So it just can be read. It has so many layers to it. Now. I'm assuming since Totti is so many so friends. So I purged you again is the way that people generally translate it, but it's it's more nuanced than that. Yeah, it's not purge as in like Stalinist purge.
0: I've been through you like a dose of salt. Yeah, something like I've that. I've given you the absolute... I've made you cack yourselves. Basically, yeah.
1: Yeah. This is a big thing because Hilarie is still with someone else at this time, but he doesn't really care about that. And... Um, he was single at the time he'd be partying um and knew all these people you know prs who would basically set up these parties he gets introduced to silvia blasi and basically yeah then bombards her with texts to basically get illary's number
0: illary was a, what they call a soubrette, a tv presenter a show girl yeah and um and, and quite a celebrity in her own right totti anyway decides partly for that reason apparently to to stick around in rome and actually goes to the Bernabeu a couple of months later in the Champions League and uh, scores the only goal in a famous Roma victory away to Real Madrid. I mean, he says he was very happy with his decision not to move to Real. You touched before on what it might have meant to him in terms of international recognition, though. And he has said that he thinks he would have, I mean, slightly totty, yes, says, has uh, said, yeah, would have won two or three Ballon d'Ors and, 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 and Lord knows what else.
1: He would have won a load of league
2: titles. Right. I mean, that's
1: very likely. Yeah, and he, I think, one of the last times, if not the last time that Rom played Real Madrid, I think this was on the Spalletti, second time around, he organises for a load of shirts um, to come with him to the Bernabeu so he can give them to Sergio Ramos, Sergio Ramos, a big fan of Totti's, and he, I think, signs one for Florentino Perez, basically from the one guy who turned you down. <laughs>
0: i host of the Totally Scottish Football Show. And if you like football, you're going to love Scottish football. It's not all just Stevie G and Scott Brown up here. No, because we talk about all of the Scottish football. And geez, oh, it's great. There's actually a title race this year in the Premiership. Stevie G will be hoping not to slip up again. Hearts are tearing each other a new one. Motherwell are doing, well... Well they're doing well So if you like your football to be competitive Have a title race And a ton of drama off and on the pitch The Totally Scottish Football Show Is most definitely for you Grab Scottish Football by the boys Just like Ryan Christie did And listen to the Totally Scottish Football Show Available everywhere Even in England You're listening to Galazzo, the Totally Italian Football Show. After turning down that move to one of the biggest stages a footballer can play on, the following years then see Totti's reputation, rather than growing internationally, actually taking one or two knocks. And the reason was his performances with the Italian national side, 2002, the disastrous World Cup, which ends, of course, by Romano giving Totti a red for, for diving in the match against South Korea. Not his, not his fault. Not his fault, but nobody emerges from that expedition with any credit. 2004, then, even worse, the European Championships in Portugal, where Totti's campaign is ended when he spits by in... By Sweden and we, Denmark. By Sweden. Yeah. Well, we, by Totti we, spitting in Christian Poulsen's face after, you know, he received a certain We need to put it knots. in context okay. and
2: give, and, and, and so that we can give all, all his excuses. Here, right. right. 2004 is also when, you know, Judas Iscariot stroke Benedict Arnold stroke Fabio Capello stroke Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane denying Jesus, <laughs> walks out. All of a sudden, you just walk out. His lock is empty, and he hasn't
1: said goodbye to anyone.
2: After three years of calling Juventus cheats and drugs and this like that, and being sort of the leader of the good fight, he kind of rips off the mask and goes and joins Juve. And Look, I mean, I exaggerate, but this is how... Rome lived the moment, right? Then they appoint Prandelli to be the Roma manager. And then, of course, Prandelli's wife tragically passes. Or she um, gets sick. Or she gets sick, sorry. So so he doesn't take the job so he can be with her. Obviously, she would pass later. And he gets thrown into this thing. He's got Trapattoni in his ear, right? And saying like, oh, you're going to carry this team you know oh forget roma that doesn't matter you know forget it for now just focus on on italy These bigger things he's got to show up to the Italian national team see the Juve guys every day right and then he has the misfortune of the opening game against denmark which which finishes 1-1 italy played reasonably well it just so happens that danish television decide oh let's do a special analysis on christian polsen's man marking of francesco totti this is kind of like VAR before VAR, right? Yeah, yeah. They have their own camera there. It's not. It's not part of a, of, of of the official Television cameras team. for the game. There's even there would even be a debate about whether you could even that evidence would even be admissible, as it happens. This is Christian Paulson. Pretty skeevy, right? It's not the fact that he got caught, though. It's the fact that he did it, which is kind of
1: Yeah, but afterwards, like, it's only when he's shown, because he he has no recollection of actually doing it. This is the thing. And maybe that's part of his excuse or whatever. But it's only when Vito Scala, his right-hand man, basically comes up and says, Francesca, there's a video going around of you spitting in Christian Paulson's face. Did you do that? And he's like, what? And then he sees it. And it's incontrovertible.
2: But the fact that it's not an official camera. I mean, put it... Let me put it this way. I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but let's assume this camera is Danish television's camera, right? If that camera also picks up Polson making faces at him and picking his nose and throwing boogers at Dotti and whatever, they're not going to share that. Right. They only share the part. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like I Zapp do Bruder understand film, what you're saying. Right? You
0: the fact d- is, though, that that uh, evidence is used to ban But look at Francesco. the representation
1: he gets for himself. Do you remember this? Giulia he gets Bongiorno. Julia Bongiorno, who defended Andreotti. Wow. Yeah. In the mafia trials, uh, successfully, more successfully. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ultimately, yeah, it didn't matter because, because of the, the stitch-up, because right. of the fix in the, the other biscotto. game. Exactly. Right. Anyway, and Slatan Ibrahimovic's weirdo back heel, yeah, which you know is a one in a million, right. maybe one in a hundred thousand, given it's Slatan, but still.
0: Yeah. Anyway, Italy don't make it out of the group. It's nice that Francesco didn't lose his sense of humour, though. It, it was around this time, actually. I think it was following the the Euros, that he he published these two uh, joke books, basically riding on the momentum of the fact that he was perceived to be not an especially bright chap and that people were making totty jokes. Um, And he basically collected them together or his people collected them together and he published them as in, uh, have you heard the latest from totty? And uh, all the proceeds going to charity and it raised a lot of money. Uh, One or two choice examples for you. Uh, What were the three hardest school years for Totty? Class one in elementary school. Uh, Totty tries to finish a jigsaw puzzle. Uh, It takes him almost four months. He turns the box over. It says, from two to three years. He says, ah, so I'm a genius.
2: (laughs) (laughs) These are all the kind of corny jokes. Like, in a different context, you know, like... What I mean, even, it, like, Irish yeah, there's actually they, the video. It, like, the video is genius. <laughs> because the even
0: if you don't so understand funny.
1: Italian, you, you, you it, the laughing is contagious. Like we did. So Piero. this was
0: done at I think uh, Borgesiana, okay. as far as I can tell. Maybe it was China but it was with the Italian national team. Mm. And basically, they 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 do a TV special where they get uh, Totti and his Italy teammates to enact or recount some of these jokes, only. They just come Del Piero so, it's completely loser. Del Vecchio is the yeah. other one where where Totti's beginning this joke which is do you know my grandfather is dead? <laughs> and every time he says it, Del Vecchio just
2: dissolves. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: so mid-noughties—that's where Do Totti really is. That. Internationally, maybe not taken as seriously as he is in Italy. In Rome, he's a god. With Roma, Capello's now been replaced by Luciano Spalletti. Totti has got married. He's been
2: replaced by about ten different people, and then Luciano Spalletti. <laughs> and then Spalletti. Right. Yeah. Okay, all right.
0: Uh, Totti's got married to Ilari Blasi as a mark of their affair yeah, as a mark of their collective celebrity the ceremony at the basilica of santa maria is televised live and it's a, it's a, it's a full of i mean yeah it's, so
1: if you go to rome and you'll see piazza venezia with the wedding cake and then just what round the back campidoglio and there's the stairs going up to the the wedding it really gives you a kind of sense of how kind of central and how kind of big this event was right which is broadcast live on sky right With the proceeds going to charity. Again.
0: Yeah. But a kind of uh, Cheryl Cole, Ashley Cole affair. And on the field, something interesting has happened as well. Another kind of chapter in the evolution of Francesco as a player. You talked earlier on about Zeman and his vision of Totti as this wide player. Other people had considered him a more deep-lying midfield supplier. But what happens in this season here, which is 2005, 2006... When Spalletti has that run of injuries with Roma...
1: Blackburn legend Shabani Nonda gets injured. Everyone gets injured to the point that they end up having to play with six midfielders. The 4-6-0.
0: The 4-6-0. So this was the false
1: nine. Hmm. I remember when United played Roma that year in the Champions League. Right. And obviously they played this system. Roma played actually very well in that first leg. I think it finished 1-1. Ronaldo scores that insane header. Right. Um, and then, obviously, everybody remembers the second leg, the seven one the at Old Trafford, one, one of the many seven ones that we're about to probably get into in Rome's history. But um, shortly after that, United start playing more or less the, the same way um, with with Cristiano playing essentially as a false nine or as a number nine, as many people would say. But it's, it ins- catches fire across Europe. James. It's ins-
0: it didn't work for them at Old Trafford, but it's insanely successful in city They go on this winning streak of eleven straight victories.
2: Uh, under Spalletti, what, what, what made Roma's version different? And when people talk about false nine, mm. you're essentially talking about four-three-three, and you're talking about a centre forward who drops, and you've got attacking wingers who who converge, right? That's kind of the the general idea, and then he takes his marker with him and opens up space, and that's fine. That's what Liverpool often do with with Firmino, because you've got Salah and Mane. But Roma had Rodrigo today, and was it Mirko Vučinić. Um, yeah, Perotta. And, and then what Roma did was they ha- always had somebody breaking from midfield, usually Simone Perotta. Sometimes Daniel De Rossi was actually quicker back then than people yeah. remember. So it was a very different interpretation. It was a lot more sort of schematic movement-based with the one wild card being Totti, who essentially everybody adjusted. They had like three or four movements, but they were always adjusting to whatever Totti saw, whatever Totti wanted to do
1: a great side I felt I, I was in Rome at the time and I would regularly go and see that team the alternative was uh, Delio Rossi's Lazio <laughs> with Tommaso Rocchi up front not, right. not all that great but that team with um, David Pizzaro in front of the defence what a player Mexes and Kivu centre back
2: Mexes of course scored a goal of the season that season was that that, was that season
1: that, away at Milan the stupid overhead the crazy thing from yeah. on the edge of the area on the left <laughs> whatever the that area. was yeah. right
2: um, Amentino Mancini, remember ah, the stepovers yeah. at uh, Lyon? Lyon, yeah. He also pulls off one of the, for me, one of the trademarks, I don't know if it was the, it was against Lyon, I don't know if it was that season, but for me, one of the Totti trademarks, which there are many, is when he retreats deep, usually in a wide area, oh, yeah. gets the ball and he just pings it around the corner. Around the, yeah. He does it in this game. This this like no look outside of the boot pass. Who I don't know even remember who sc- who scored off it. I, I don't. But you have no idea how he does it. How quickly his brain registers what's going on right. and he hits that pass because it's not a blind pass. No.
0: What what would you call the other trademark? Because when you're talking about vision, I mean his ability to to use his uh, a backheel pass as well to uh, to yeah, catch I think, defenses I mean, there's out. A,
1: there's a fantastic compilation on YouTube. She's about 15 minutes long, just passes like that, um, that, that Totti does.
2: Um, and then, of course, Cucchiaio, James. Yeah, the spoon. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's interesting when Totti was playing his first nine because I, I had this conversation with Capello, and I had it with Capello the year he left Real Madrid, and then he kept insisting on this about how Totti, he's like, when he was younger, obviously, when, when, he was, when he had him at Roma, he's like, well, I had, I had Battistuto and Montella, so obviously he had to play somewhere else. But he's like, Totti should only play as a center forward now because Totti always hits the target. And this is before data and analytics and stuff, and it's true. He was one of the very best strikers of the ball in terms of getting the ball on target. And he, he laid out this parallel with Cristiano. Now, obviously, there's very many differences. Cristiano's aerial ability, Cristiano's even even now is probably more athletic than like young Totti. But their ability to strike the ball and to strike the ball cleanly and make it go where they want, no matter the position, they almost always really, you know, it's never an easy save and it's almost always on target. Francesco Totti then,
0: at the peak of his game and Roma romping away in Serie A. However, in February of 2006, Francesco fractures his leg against Empoli. Roma's run continues on remarkably well, actually. But the big question now for Francesco is is he going to make it back for the big tournament coming up that summer, the World Cup in Germany? Another chance for Francesco to stamp his name on an international tournament, to earn that international recognition that his career, to be fair, had so far not elicited. What would happen? Well, that's something we're going to be looking at in part two of our big Totally Toddy show. And we'll also be discussing why, Gabriele, of all of his achievements, what he did from the mid-noughties from that World Cup onwards in his thirties with Roma in decline with a metal plate in his leg is almost the most impressive thing of all. Join us again then when we return in the next Galazzo for part two of the Totti Story. For now, many thanks to Gabriele and James, and from all of us here, to Riva
2: Italiano.
1: You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email
0: sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since the Bee Gees. Ha, 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 ha. From the Horse's Mouth. From the Horse's Mouth. Ha, ha, yeah. Muddy Knees Media